we go. Uh, it's a little late, I know, but then it's always a feast day when Finn is here. So where'd he go? So this is great joy. He's healing up a bit. Now the doctor said he needed to be here another two weeks. We haven't heard yet what Finn says. I suppose he's the doctor too. So uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see whether. Uh, well, we'll see whether he, he's willing to be um, available and taught by his eye doctor. That's what we'll find out this week. So he's supposed to stick around. He has struggled uh, mightily and, and may be in for some more surgery. So we're going to try to watch over him a little bit. We'll see what happens. Um, if I've got elders here, and, and I'm sure that I do, we normally go at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. This Wednesday, the 13th, would be our time. Uh, we're going to try to go at 7. So you'll get an email and a phone call to that effect. But I know you talk among yourselves, and I, I know there's a lot of you here. So. If you can't go at 7 this week on Wednesday, elders who are here, would you get to me right after? Come, come and uh, touch me on the nose after this, this uh, Bible study today because otherwise uh, there's, there's such a lot to do as there always is at this time in the church here that we need maybe an extra hour. So uh, do let me know. And if you see other guys, please tell them so all will be well. Misericordia Domini which is a fascinating thing to say. Um, uh, you know, this is the one-year church here, Misericordia Domini. Uh, sounds like miserable is the way that you would, you would begin to, and that would be wrong. Misericordia Domini is, is uh, your, your Catholic friends have it. You, you see it, you have you been where on the wall they've got the picture of Jesus, and then it's perfectly a nice guy, and then the, you, you see his chest is split open. You see his beating heart. Have you seen that? That's Misericordia Domini. It is the tender mercies the tender, merciful heart of our Lord. The, um, you know, sometimes the scriptures talk about, the, the King James will talk about bowels of mercy, which means your whole sort of, you're sort of lit up inside in mercy for other people. Uh, but of course, that's all about the Lord first. So this, uh, you know, this is the way that, that it was be talking about. Our Savior Jesus Christ, who leads us to immortal blessedness, grant we beg you, not to presume to trust ourselves, but always to have our eyes on you, to follow you, our guide, to obey you who knows the way, that we be led to our heavenly desires through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, here we go. This is an oddness. Um, this is an oddness to be doing these seven words after Easter, but then maybe not, okay? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's all going to be okay. So uh, here we are, five in. I thirst, John, the Gospel of St. John. And you remember that the Gospel of St. John was all about um, the fulfillment of Christ, but thick theologically. The last Gospel written, if you go by the way the Scripture talks about itself, uh, John was the one <clears throat> apostle, one, the only one of the twelve, who uh, was not martyred. Of course, Judas is the exception there, but died by his own hand. But of the others, all but John died uh, early and brutally. John lives to be an old man on uh, Patmos in exile. The revelation comes to him late in his life, but he also writes the gospel. And like all of us, with time to reflect, older and wiser, uh, as long as your oldness is not wasted. Uh, for John, it was not wasted. And so there's clues in John's gospel, uh, and his gospel actually matches the revelation. Often people don't see that. Uh, it's all about Christ, and there's clues about how the Christ works. 
uh, and they pierced his side and water and blood came out. And then the great joy of uh, Revelation being in heaven. So I, I prompt you to this. I thirst is what happens on the cross. Uh, and I ask you what that could possibly mean. It does, of course, mean that he was physically thirsty. Um, 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, uh, there was in the Journal of the American Medical Association several articles written back and forth on crucifixion, the physical effects of crucifixion. It was quite fascinating. Uh, you know, it was, it was from, uh, you know, there were things from, uh, you know, so oddly uh, taken up as when uh, the Bible couldn't be true because, you know, it says that you got to get the nails through his hands and, and, you know, the medical evidence is you got to sort of get it through the wrists, otherwise you, your sort of hands would tear off. Uh, and so then people say, well, you can't quite, you can't quite uh, believe the scriptures then. And, of course, the answer to that is you just need a little broader definition of hand uh, and all will be well. Uh, the interesting thing about the crucifixion uh, is what it does to your body. It is true, in fact, that, that um, people could die from the scourging. The scourging could be so severe uh, that they sort of die on the way and they never actually get them up on the cross. On the other hand, uh, there are, uh, it was meant to inflict torture. And if you live longer, so be it. There's a famous story about Josephus. You remember Josephus was a Jewish historian who was historian to the Roman generals. And there is a story in Josephus where he, he, he speaks of going out to a battle, accompanying the general to a battle. And when he comes back, he finds that his own slave has been crucified. And he gets him down, and the guy lives. Remarkable stuff. So, and if they wanted to be particularly brutal, you, you see occasionally this in, uh, you see occasionally this in, in um, pictures. There, there was uh, uh, the possibility of sort of putting an extra uh, two by four across the, across the, 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 the uh, cross to form a seat, uh, which would then sort of leave you to perish at a very slow rate. Uh, think Shiva. And then uh, also sometimes at your feet. The way normally a normal crucifixion would kill you is that you would die of suffocation. That you'd sort of be, and you can sort of do this, you know, go home to your, your chin-up bar and sort of hold on. And what you find is, is that you can't breathe. After a while, you, you, know, you, you can't breathe. And then you sort of pull yourself up to get a breath, and then, then you can't hold yourself up. So then you drop yourself down, and then you can't breathe. And you sort of pull yourself up. So it was this kind of miserable thing uh, in the heat and in the cold, you know, um, having been scourged, sort of put up. Uh, to die by who knows which way. The possibilities are endless. So there is this real physical uh, happening of Jesus thirsting. You can imagine what it would be like to, you know, the, the bugs and the heat and, 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 and uh, the mocking and, and, and all that. Uh, certainly it's physical. And so you get a hint of that in, in Psalm 22, uh, which Jesus uh, speaks, a bit of it at least, as he's on the cross. Uh, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that, was, that was last week. But you remember in the middle, in 14 and 15, I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. You know, it's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. A potsherd is, you can find potsherds now if you go to Israel. Uh, it's dry, and they used to make clay pots, and sometimes they would fire them. And when they fired, the stuff sort of lasts forever. 
and, and it doesn't rain much, so it doesn't really rot. You can sort of walk across a field right now in Israel, and you'll find broken pottery all over the place, kind of a favorite uh, pastime of people who go on digs as they sort of walk afterwards, uh, mind the landmines, and uh, they find jug handles, which you know, they, 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 you sort of, you can use them, well, they're perfect Christmas for uh, napkin holders. So they're, they're all, all round about, uh, this stuff is there. But the, this image of is this old, brittle, dry pottery that's lying in the middle of the desert, you know, that's sort of, that, that sort of in your mouth. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. It's fascinating, passive. Somebody else is putting him to death. So, you know, certainly all of that is there, but I wanted to try to prompt you, and if you have a Bible, you can go to John 18. Uh, point two, that Jesus' thirst not, is not just physical, but it's also for what the Lord, uh, what the Father might give him. And you remember there was a point, <coughs> actual, actually several points in the Gospels, where, where one person and another tries to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus gets his baptism, and, then and, and that baptism is going to send him to the cross. You're my son, but you're also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. You're on your way to the cross. So then they go out in the desert, uh, and then the very first thing that happens is that the devil tempts him not to be that Jesus, tempts him not to be that son. And you remember, again, uh, he, he comes down and he tells, tells the disciples, we're on the way to the cross. And Peter says, you know, that's never going to happen to you. And then in... in, in in Gethsemane, where Jesus is, is sort of sweating blood, and his best friends have all fallen asleep. You know, the, what, what, what was more painful, to, to, to be forsaken or to be forsaken? And so then, uh, the temptation that Jesus has in his own mouth, couldn't this cup pass away? That was Satan's words and Peter's words, and the, those, those horrible words find their way into Jesus' mouth. Isn't there some other way? And Jesus, you know, sort of spits that out. Those aren't, those aren't the, the words that are fit for the son who's a suffering servant. And then again on the cross, if you're the son of God, then come down. And, and of course, you know, he doesn't come down. And John 18 is, is, is a great uh, roundabout verse 11. <clears throat> you know, they, they're just, they've, 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 they've done all sorts of good things uh, in the upper room. And now they come down <clears throat> and uh, the king's men come near, John 18, 10. Famous story, it's great, uh, this is, you know, Sunday school is underestimated just for the fact that it puts these stories into your head in a way that you'll never forget them. This is one that you'll never forget. Uh, Simon Peter drew his sword and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear, and his name was Malchus. And then, of course, what you remember is the, the Lord says, well, that won't do, and he sort of picks up Malchus's ear and you know, puts it back. How about that? Is that better? Even if you were Malchus, it must have been a fascinating evening. Uh, it must have been an interesting thing. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? So, of course, there's much more going on than uh, just physical thirst. It is, in fact, physical thirst and torturous. But then there is more. And what I suggest to you that on this cross, Jesus lives out his baptism. And, you know, we are, uh, you know, running a bit behind, and that's all right. And so I'm going to just give you these texts for you to go look up. Isaiah 53 is this mighty text about who the Christ will be. He's the one that will be smitten, stricken, and afflicted, esteemed by no man. You may remember that. We read that, and 
rejoice in that. Psalm 22, it was like having an old friend come home when Chuck Brown sang that during the stripping of the altar this year. Very grateful for that. You know, that's the psalm that we sing. That sort of horrible, wonderful thing that happens as the altar gets stripped. And Psalm 69 that says, um, <clears throat> he poisoned my food and gave me vinegar to drink, which of course is, 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 is what happens to him. So I'm, I'm at point four here then. This thirst fulfills Jesus' amt, which is a great German word for uh, his office. All that he was meant to be doing, what he'd been put into. You know, it, it, it fulfills Jesus' role as Messiah. But more than that, see, Jesus says he lays down his life and no one takes it from him. As I suggested earlier, that laying down and taking up again must not be understood as play-acting, as though Jesus is orchestrating the drama. And you know, from time to time I test you and ask whether or not Jesus could have failed. Uh, could, what if, could Jesus have given in? And then normally we're taught to say, oh, it could never happen. And then, of course, when you, when you say that, I, I always want to ask whether or not it was just play-acting. I mean, I think the answer is he could have failed. And Satan could be king. And it didn't happen. And that's the gospel. Laying down his life in absolute obedience. And if you want to know what obedience is, it follows here. Laying down his life is absolute obedience, abandonment, loss of control, committing it all to the Father, which, frankly, if you know, well, that's, that's the definition of being an American, opposite that. Disobedient and never uh, out of control, and I'll do it myself. Laying down his life is the absolute obedience, abandonment, loss of control, committing all to the Father. Jesus, and this is key, is eager for this. And I, I just think you should observe, you know, sort of cumulatively over the course of the weeks, what it is that Jesus is eager for. I've tried to convince you that you aren't the first factor to be considered in these seven last words. The first factor is how the Father and the Son decide to fix what you and I have broken. That's the first factor. And then it's given to you as gift. But here's what you need to understand. In the person of Jesus Christ, obedience means that the Father is the first factor, and then someone else besides himself is the second factor. And Jesus sort of comes in third place, which you would then recognize, if you're clever, as the sum of the commandments. The first three commandments are all about relationship with the Father, and the last seven are all about relationship with other people. And so then, um, you're sort of after that. Jesus' life is given to the Father and to others. And so your life, if you're on the way, is to be given to the Father and to others. Yeah. The glory of the cross is precisely in the free abandonment that lets everyone go, everything go. Jesus is eager for this. This is the second line uh, Second last line in the first bit of the quote. I thirst is essential for he's not stopping short of going all the way in the abandonment of self. 
There's no, it's all or none. Is the gospel is all or none. Christ is all Christ or no Christ at all. Your life is full blast or nothing. Those are two choices. Those are all the choices there are. So it's true that in the fourth gospel, he trusts the Father, will not finally abandon him. And if I asked you, you would say that too. You would say, well, the Lord won't finally abandon me. Guess what? It gets more difficult. I am never alone because the Father is with me. But that trust is vindicated only after the cup is emptied. And that, you see, is the difference. The glory of the cross is precisely in the free abandonment that lets everything go. So I think we make no mistake when we hear Psalm, in, hear Psalm 22 in the words, I thirst. See, anybody can sort of say, well, I'm the Lord's and the Lord is mine. But there is a part in the scriptures where the Lord says, there are people who honor me with lips, but their hearts are far away. And Jesus then is the one whose lips match his heart. So he can say, I abandon myself to the Father. I thirst, not just physically, I thirst for whatever's in the cup. And if the Lord wants to kill me, that's the Lord's business. So he does it. Now, you must see uh, the great uh, joy and suffering then. That, you know, we saw, Finn was bang on this morning, when, you know, in the cri critique of the American church. He's too, he's too much of a gentleman to sort, to sort of pin it on us so, so directly. But the, but the church that preaches, I, I wondered as he was preaching how, uh, how American Christianity would play in Ghana. If the, if, the, uh, if the proof that the Lord loves you is your material possessions, that you can hear that on any station and almost any church this morning in America, he must hate the Ghanaians. Ghanaians, sorry. He must, he must hate all of Africa and Latin America as well. He hates the Russians, clearly, and the Chinese, too. He must not love anybody but us. Unless, of course, the gospel is something else. So there is the way of suffering as uh, a way to draw your focus. I think, it, who, who, who was it? Uh, the book's lying on Schleck's desk on the corner, if I could. I, Schleck, what book is lying on the corner of your desk? Chesterton. Thank you so much for that. It is Chesterton who says, he, he says, the reason we suffer is because we can't pay attention. This is precisely right. This is the suffering focuses you tremendously. This is a great benefit in, in suffering. And it also is uh, given, uh, it is the way that we grow. The Lord stretches us in, in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. This is his gift to us. And then we die and we see what happens. And that's why for Christians, there's great joy in death. It is at the death point that the cup's been emptied out. And it is only at that point that what you've said your whole life finally matters. Great joy in that. So, uh, Jesus thirsting, Jesus suffering in accordance with the Psalms is a reminder that Jesus is Israel's son he's, he's, and, and your brother. Israel's suffering, her abandonment, comes to a climax in the cross of Jesus. Finally, in his eye thirst, we see the end of Israel's Christ-haunted suffering. You remember that Jesus is Israel reduced for what to one. Whatever Israel was supposed to do, whatever you were supposed to do, Jesus does it. And so you get to be the new 
Israel. That's a great joy, eh? Now, we can't go farther, but I'll set, spin you to, um, you know, you got to end, you got to, if you, if you can't hear the gospel in this, then I need to say it more clearly. So go to the last point, six, and the last quote under the last point in the bold, which is defense for being able to talk about I thirst during the 50 days of resurrection when we don't even kneel for confession, so joyous are we, and bold. You can hardly imagine a man going to the altar and not kneeling to confess his sins. And yet you'll notice in the 50 days of Easter, the pastors don't kneel, nor would you if we had kneelers. We would, we would stand for this. This is, this is a bit of bravado, I guess. Or it is confidence. The cross is not merely the bad news before the good news of the resurrection, which, of course, is what all those people believe who urge you to put your Good Fridays behind you and embrace your Easter's. This is heresy. The cross is not merely the bad news before the good news of the resurrection. Come Easter Sunday, we do not put the suffering and death behind us as though it were no more than a nightmarish prelude to the joy of victory. No. The cross remains the path of discipleship for those who follow the risen Lord. It is not as though there are two paths. One, the way of the cross, and the other, the way of the resurrection victory. Take your pick. Well, what sort of Christian would you like to be? Would you like to be sort of cross sort of Christians, or would you like to be uh, sort of resurrection Christians? That's what makes nonsense of the argument of not having a body on the cross, because, well, that's, we're not that sort of Christian. Jesus is risen, and so are we. That doesn't mean that this cross is wrong. You need to be very clear about that. There's nothing wrong with that, Unless you say that's the only way that it can be. Because then you've said there's two ways and not one. Which is why we've got one where the body hangs and we've got one where the body doesn't. It's two sides of one coin. It's not as though there were two paths, one the way of the cross and the other the way of resurrection victory. Rather, the resurrection means that the way of the cross is the way of victory. And if you get that, you're Christian. And if you don't get that, you're absolutely positively lost. The way of the cross is the way of victory. Jesus says, I will be raised up, and when I am raised up, I will find my glory. And when I find my glory, all men will be drawn to me. When does he get raised up? He gets raised up on the cross. How can that be his glory? Because glory is holiness. Why does that draw people? Because it's precisely the thing that we do not have and need most. And that's the gospel. And there isn't any other. And that's all the time we've got. So you might have a go, and we'll do something else uh, next week. Thanks for your patience, and it's, uh, it's good, good that you stuck around. Let's pray, and on the way we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.